0: Says that angels are spirit messengers sent by God to serve those who are going to be saved. This is a word for our church. I started seeing our sanctuary with angels hovering near the ceiling, each holding a gift for someone in the room. Some held scrolls with revelation, some little boxes with promises. Some had living hearts in their hands to replace hearts of stone. Some had flasks of oil for healing. Some held swords for deliverance from bondage, such as addiction, unforgiveness. Some held their hand extended as to invite a human partner to dance with them in worship. Some held living lightning bolts to deliver the power of God to a situation Some had Holy Spirit fruit baskets to distribute love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Loving God and Father who delights to give us the gift of truth, we thank you for what you are pouring into us at N3C. Father, I thank you for what you are doing if you want to have eyes to see what the spirit of the Lord is doing, I want you to place your hands on your eyes right now because it takes a different set of eyes to see what the spirit of the Lord is doing. It's easy to see what's happening in front of us, but it takes another set of eyes to see what is not seen because what is seen is temporary, but what is not seen is eternal it is very important that now more than ever that we set our eyes on what is not seen and so father in the name of jesus christ we ask you to empower us by your holy spirit who lives and dwells on the inside of us to give us eyes to see what the spirit of the lord is doing give us eyes to see what you are doing god Give us eyes that we do not look on the outward appearance of man. That we do not judge other people based on their outward appearance. That we are not affected by their outward actions. Father, give us eyes to see the heart that you see. Father, give us eyes to see what you are doing and how you are strategically positioning your people in this time for great exploits. Father, give us eyes to see, <clears throat> Ah, give us eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us. Father, not the way that we see ourselves through the filter of our past, not the way that we may see ourselves through the filter of what culture and society puts on us. Father, not to see ourselves the way that we simply see a reflection in the mirror, Father, give us eyes to see who you have created us to be. And we take hold of that and we partner with it. We run with it. With joy and excitement and with great expectation. Father, we give you glory and honor. For what you are showing us and what you give us the ability to see, we praise you and we thank you because you are God and you are doing great things. And of all of the times that we could have been born, of all of the times we could have been released into this earth you have chosen now for this appointed time for us to walk and to partner with your spirit and to do and release into heaven and to earth from heaven what you have called and ordained for this time and we are your established ministers say I am God's established minister in Jesus name and I celebrate that you, yeah you, you sound like you're celebrating it say I celebrate that yes out of all of the times that you could have been born out of all of the different places that you could be and I want to say this to you in this room all of you who are watching online if you are here I want to declare this over you I don't know how many times it has been said to me when are you leaving Colorado I don't know how many times I have heard people say, I can't stand to be here any longer. I got to get out of this state. Anybody else? We're not giving up this ground. We are not giving up this ground. If you were supposed to be somewhere else and God is calling you somewhere else, go where God's calling you. But I'm telling you right now, you don't give up ground because of what someone else is doing. You go where God called you to be. You stand the territory. You stand that ground and you don't back down. We are called and we are positioned for such a time as this. When it gets uncomfortable and when it gets hard, do we tuck tail and run? got to go somewhere else to find that because that's not who we are. Right? Look at your neighbor and say, you're not seeing my hind end because I'm not going anywhere. Yes. Yes. Amen. Father, we thank you for what you have planned for us today. We declare that we are the people that you have sent and we will do what you have asked us to do in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Man, if God is ministering to you and you're in a place that you just need to stay and be receiving, just stay where you're at and just receive what you need to receive. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Hey, did you guys know that this is going to be the best day ever? I'm telling you, I'm excited for what God's got for us today. I... Love our worship team. Can we tell them just how much we appreciate them? That ministry. I I have to say this, Debbie, you were not here this Sunday that I said this, and I don't know if you got to hear it or not. Debbie is the beautiful lady who has, and I said this before, and I don't know if you got to hear this. She's the beautiful lady who does worship with her flags. You are a pioneer and a forerunner in worship in our church. In all of the years since uh, since we started in 2000, we have not had a person who has consistently come to worship the Lord and to wave the banner of worship in our church. And I want to say thank you to you for being a forerunner and a pioneer in what you are doing. And we honor that worship. Thank you. She is, and I remember the first time she brought banners uh, was on a worship night, a Friday night worship night, and she was in the back, just back back in the back. And I felt like I needed to go and just sit and watch what God was doing through her worship. I love if if I haven't, if you haven't heard me say this before, I love watching the anointing and the anointing is God's presence through people. It's like, uh, when they anoint, when you would read about somebody being anointed with oil in the scripture, it would mean that they would smear oil on them. Well, the oil is representative of the Holy spirit. So it's God's presence. It's God moving. So I love to watch the anointing. I love to watch the way God smears himself on people and the way that it comes out. I just, I I, I'm captivated by it. And so anyway, I got to sit in the back and I was watching, I was worshiping, but you know, that's why I have to sit in the front so I don't get distracted, but I was worshiping, but I loved watching that. And if you're curious about it, every banner that she waves has different colors. She makes them and each color has a purpose and a reason. And she waves the banner That God puts in her heart to wave that morning. You can see she lays her banners up here. And she welcomes other people to come up and worship with her. I'm just, I'm just planting that seed out there. She's nodding her head. So she, she shares her banners. So if you're curious about it, ask her. Can you wave your hand just so that everybody knows where you're at? Yeah. So I just love her worship. And I have to say this, my sweet friend, Melissa Jervis or Melissa Fisher, Melissa and Jervis, but Melissa Fisher is here this morning. And if you have not had the opportunity to hear about their ministry, they have LOL ministries in Belize and they are not, they say that they are an orphanage, but they are not just an orphanage. They are a ministry that is transforming culture in Belize. And so it's a phenomenal ministry that they have. I had the honor of getting to go and be with her. Gosh, that's been a long time ago. Many moons, many moons ago. But I just love her. And we have the honor of having her in the house this morning. So we love you. <clears throat> huh, with that, um, I've got some Really cool stuff that I want to talk to you guys about this morning, but I have to travel the road to get there. So you guys grab your suitcase. Let's get in the car and let's go. Okay. So last week, uh, if you recall, I mentioned that I have just been camping out in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews and the Bible. A lot of times people will ask, well, how do you study the Bible or how do you spend your time with God? <clears throat> if God has me to stay in one chapter. It could be two or three verses that I just, I call it camping out because I just stay there. And it could be days. It could be weeks. (laughs) Hebrews has been weeks that I've just been there and it's like that's just where I need to be and one of the things that jumped out at me I said this last week but I love this in the passion translation in Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 2 the way that the passion translation puts it is that uh, but to us living in these last days God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son And if you look down in the footnotes in the Passion Translation, the author lets us know that, like, the way that God speaks to us, that we speak the language of English, and God speaks to us the language of Son. And when he says that, he's referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when we read the scripture, when we talk about what I want to talk to you about this morning, it's important that we—how many How many of you have ever traveled to a country where— they speak a different language than you <clears throat> and it is i've i've heard i've never asked somebody this but i've heard that when you travel to another country that they very much appreciate it if you make an effort to learn their language and to communicate in the language that they that is native to their to their country to be respectful of their country and even though i'm very bad at it if i go somewhere i try to do that and they appreciate the effort they they uh, kind of snicker at me a little bit, but I laugh too. And I just appreciate, they appreciate the effort. So this is what God is saying to us is he's saying, when I'm speaking to you, I want you to understand that I'm not speaking to you on the level of your possibility. I'm not speaking to you in the language of your government. I'm not speaking to you in the language of your potential, your limitations, your, uh, what you think I'm speaking to you in the language Of my son, which I sent my son that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I sent my son so that you might be saved. I sent my son so that you might be made whole. So when God speaks to us, when we read the Bible, we read it, we're reading it in language, but it is important that we absorb it and that we receive it in the language of the son. So, <laughs> so keep that in mind as we press in this morning. So last week we talked about entering into God's rest and we talked about uh, creativity and innovation that comes from rest. Well, a very important part of that is knowing what rest is and how to get there. How do you you get to that? What does it look like? What does it feel like? So I want to talk about that this morning. So again, in Hebrews chapter four, starting in verse one in the passion translation, it says this, now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did. And when it says they, let me put a pause right here. What he's talking about when the author is referring to is they is the people that came out of Egypt with Moses and entered into the wilderness where they were to make a journey and then enter into the promised land. And when you go back and when you read in Genesis Exodus, then you read about uh, Moses leading the they, the Hebrew. True children out of Egypt into the wilderness and an entire generation of people passed away into the in the wilderness because unbelief wrapped their heart and they couldn't enter into the fullness of God's promise. So that's what chapters three and four are talking about in Hebrews. So we're catching up here where he says that he says, heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they, those people that we just talked about, didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply and they doubted. For those of us who believe faith activates the promise and we experience the realm Of confident rest. Look at your neighbor and say confident rest. We're going to jump down to verse 9 for the sake of time. And verse 9 says this. I I, I don't know how to make that stop. Stop it. Okay. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete Sabbath rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life. We cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. So then we must be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one fails to fall short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. What he is saying to us is that there was an entire generation of people that left captivity, that left slavery, that left bondage, and entered into the wilderness where God called them out to worship him. It is a picture of you and I leaving a life where we are a slave to sin, we are a slave to the desires of our flesh, we are a slave and we have no self-control, we have no... true root of joy. We have no hope. God says that just as he took the people out of Egypt and brought them into a place where they could worship him, and as he taught them his character and his nature through the journey in the wilderness, then they would travel and cross into what he called the promised land. It was the promised land because God promised that land to them. That's deep. So, He's saying that there is an entire generation of people who never entered into that promise. They left the captivity. They left the slavery. They left the bondage. But because of what still remained in them, in their thoughts and in their heart, they never entered into the fullness of what God was calling them to. They never experienced what God had planned for them. God told Moses, I want you to take this people and I want you to go to the wilderness and I want you to worship me. And when you worship me, then I'm going to take you to the land that I promised to your forefathers. This is an important note right here. Because Moses never made it into the promised land. That entire generation of people never made it in. So did God lie or did they not respond to the word? There are two parts in everything. And a lot of times, let me, this is just a little side note. A lot of times we can say, well, God, God must have not cared. God must have not done, you know, God must have been sleeping, whatever you want to come up with. There are two parts to the word of God. There is God's word. And then there is our responsibility. There may be things that have happened in your life that you could not control, but you are completely and totally responsible for the word of God. There are people in here who have had terrible, awful things happen to them that were completely and totally out of your control. You had absolutely no bearing on what your circumstances were and maybe are, but the word of God and his promise to you is completely and totally your responsibility. That sounds harsh, but it's actually freedom for anyone who is in that situation or has been. So God speaks to us here through Hebrews. And again, he's speaking through the language of son. And he's telling us, I want you to see that there is an entire group of people who came out of the old way of living. But because of what was in their heart, they never experienced the fullness of what I had for them. It's, it's, it's important for us to recognize that. Because we can look at that and we can go, God, those guys were a bunch of losers. What a bunch of idiots, right? It took them 40 years to make a journey that should have been a 10 day journey. Uh, get a map, right? Like get it together. You would think after, you know, the first year, hey guys, let's listen to God. <laughs> Maybe you're 10 I don't know somewhere along the way, but how many of us can say, Hey, I've been doing this God thing a long time and I'm still not in the fullness of what he has promised. So I want to learn from what's put here for us to learn from so that we don't make the same mistake. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying to us. Let's learn from the example that was put in front of us and let's not be stupid. There's a difference. Stupid is a choice. Ignorance is just not knowing. You can write that in the front of your Bible. The scripture says to us, faith activates the promise. What activates the promise? What keeps you in the wilderness? Doubt. Unbelief. Stupidity. Write that in the front of your Bible. We experience the realm of confident rest through faith activating the promise of God. God's faith, rest, life. Now, when I say the word rest, there are are things that each one of us, it comes to our mind. We all picture something different. We have an idea. When I say the word rest... There is an idea or a connotation that comes up in your mind. For me, when I think of rest, what I often think of is, well, that's what you do when you're sick so that you can get well. You know, people always say that, well, I'm not going to be able to make it in because I'm sick. Oh, stay home and rest and feel better quickly. So rest is something that you do when you're sick, because in our culture, And in the United States, I I don't live anywhere else, so I can't speak to any other culture, right? It might be this way lots of places. I don't know. But we equate busyness with success. How many of you, when somebody asks how you're doing, oh, man, we're busy. I don't know why that is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Everybody's got the same 24 hours in a day. Everybody's got the same 7 days in a week. Oh, we're just so busy. What are you doing that you're not supposed to be doing because you're so busy? Right? That <laughs> so you just start like, oh, "Wow, I'm so Im-, I'm, I'm like like when people say that, I'm supposed to be impressed." <laughs> Good for you. Because in our culture, we equate being busy with being successful. So if I tell you that I'm busy, it is our culture's way of saying, I'm really important and I'm really successful. I am running through myself, but by golly, I'm successful. That is what, that's what we think. So we have a connotation or an idea that we attach with the word rest that implies being lazy. So if I'm resting and I'm not busy, then I'm not important or successful because I'm not needed somewhere. Right. Let me just say this, if your organization or your business or even your family rises and falls upon your presence, you're doing it wrong. Anything and everything should rise and fall upon the presence of God. God's presence is the most important, including your home. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm a single mom, I'm a single dad, and if I don't do this, if I don't do this, God still needs to be the center of your home. In everything that you do. So rest, we have this idea of what it is. And it, it's kind of, it, it makes it Like how many of us, if we take a day to rest, do you feel guilty? Because I could be doing this. I should be doing that. Well, this isn't getting done. Then this is going to pile up and I'm going to have to get to the blah, 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 and all of the things, right? Because we're resting. So here's what I want to talk to you about is God's Son language of rest. When God talks about rest, what is he talking about? So I want to give you four aspects of faith, rest, life. And how we learn what it is through speaking the language of son. So the very first aspect I want to give to you is that faith, rest, rest is simply obedience. Number one. In its very simplest form, rest is obedience. Because the scripture says to us in the Ten Commandments, God spoke to us and he said that you will have a Sabbath and that you will observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest. It is simply when we say the, the word Sabbath in your Bible means a day of quiet rest. It is a day of ceasing from your works. It is a day of actually the word Sabbath has a connotation of celebration added to it. So it's meant to be a good thing, not a punishment. So when God spoke to us in Exodus 20 and verse 8 and says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, that is the fourth commandment. He didn't say, hey, if you don't have something better to do, you know, if you don't got FOMO, then take a Sabbath. <laughs> that isn't what he said. He said, remember the Sabbath and do it. It is God's ten commandments, not God's tens. If you feel like it, (laughs) if your budget allows, if your time allows, if your schedule allows, but here's, what's really interesting is commandment. Number one that we read is that we are to have no gods before him. Commandment. Number one, I am God have no gods before me. Commandment. Number two is to not worship idols. And commandment number 3 is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Commandment number 4 is to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Commandment number 1, he's saying to us, I am the Lord. Remember, let's read this through the language of a son now because we are reading this through the through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, I am God, have no other gods before me. Uh that includes ourselves. That includes my schedule. That includes everything. Have no other gods before me. Oh! Then the next thing he says is he says, don't worship idols. Uh, that includes me. I am not to worship myself and what I'm doing and my schedule and my agenda and what I think is important above what God says is important. The third thing he says is don't take my name in vain. That means that when you hit your finger... It, you know, unless you are worshiping the Lord, (laughs) you know, but also let's also look at don't take my name in vain. If you call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, a worshiper of God, don't take my name in vain, meaning don't take my name with no power. My name has power. And when you carry my name, don't carry it with no authority. So he's giving us a chain here. He's giving us these all linked together. And then when he gets to remember my Sabbath, remember my day of celebration, remember my day of rest and keep it. Why? I'm so glad you asked. Let's move on to number two, because... Number two is rest reminds us that we're created in God's likeness. When we go back to the creation story in Genesis chapter two, we do what our creator does. We're created in his likeness and in his image. Gem- Genesis chapter 126 said, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Then it says this in Genesis chapter two and verse seven, it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life and man became a living being. Then as you go on into Leviticus, it's very interesting because God even establishes in Leviticus in uh, chapter 25, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but in Leviticus chapter 25, God is establishing the laws. What he's saying is I know my creation and I know you, I'm establishing a way for you and my creation to live in harmony and wellness with one another. And what God established is that there is a Sabbath for the land. He said that for six years, you will work the land, you will graze the land, you will use the land, but in the seventh year, you are to rest the land. You are to rest the dirt. What are we made of? Dirt. The one who created us rested. So when we rest, it reminds us that we are created in the image and the likeness of God. It's not just taking a day off. It is a statement. It is a faith life statement saying, I am created in the image of God and I do what the one who created me does. If we want to perform great signs, miracles, and wonders like God, God flowing through us, we want to partner with him for miracle signs and wonders. We need to partner with him in rest. You can't have one without the other. Well, I want this God, but I don't want that. Give me my big black highlighter. So I asked a local expert. Because I can Google. But how many of you know, sometimes Google doesn't know. I've learned that Google can be wrong. Google is not Jesus. So I asked a local expert and he may be watching this morning. And I asked him with no context. I just asked, I said, so what is the purpose in farming? He is a farmer. I think he's either a second. I think he's a second generation, maybe third generation farmer in this area. So I asked him again, no context, random question. So why do you rest the land? Why do you do that? Here was his answer. To regain its strength, you rest the land so that the dirt can regain its strength. Whatever grows pulls from the soil and it pulls nutrients and minerals. So resting it lets it regain its strength. I was like, oh, that's cool. Then he went on to say that maximum yield comes from rested soil. It comes from dirt with strength. I want to be dirt with strength. That's cool. Then I told him why I asked him that question. He was like, oh, okay. But I thought that was really neat. So number one, rest is obedience, plain and simple. Number two, rest reminds us, and it is a declaration that we are created in the likeness and image of God. Number three, rest is a life declaration, a lifestyle declaring God's goodness. Because the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3 that God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. That word rested there in the Hebrew is the word "Shabbath," which sounds very much like the word Sabbath. They are related and connected. It is to cease, to be still, to celebrate, to celebrate The Sabbath. On the seventh day, God reflected on all that He had made and saw that it was good and rested in the goodness of what He had created. God created us in His likeness and in His image, so He has given us the same ability to reflect, to remember all that God has done and to remember that His completed works are Good that what God has done that he has healed that he has made whole that he has provided that he has been present when I rest when I choose the faith rest life I am declaring I believe that God has been good I believe that he will be good and I believe that he will always be good and because of his goodness I can rest. God is not good because I strive. God is not more present because I got up an hour early and read that morning. God is not more gooder because I do more. I'm not that powerful. You're not that powerful. You can't make God more gooder. He just is. And the scripture says that he recognized, he looked at all that he had made and said it was good until he got to man. And he said, it is very good. Then on the seventh day, he looked at all that he had made and said, I'm amazing. And I'm going to rest in that. I'm just going to take a whole day and think about how amazing I am and celebrate it. That's what rest is about. It's not about being lazy. It's not about withdrawing. It's not about not doing something or putting off anything. Faith rest is a declaration that God is good. And I believe in his goodness. And therefore, I rest in it. I rest in that God is amazing and he'll continue to be amazing. Amen? Amen. Number four. Rest is a work of faith. That's deep. <laughs> rest is a work of faith. James chapter 2 and verse 20 says, Oh, don't you know, oh foolish man? He's like, don't be stupid, y'all. Faith without works is dead. Okay. We just got done saying that there's rest. So how do you have faith with works? Okay. Faith, the word faith in the Greek that we read right there is a noun. Now, for those of us who weren't super uh, great in English, a noun is a person, place, or thing. Oftentimes, we think of faith as as a verb, an action word. Faith in its pure form right here in the Greek is a noun. It is the thing. It's the thing. Faith without works. Works is the verb. Do you guys remember doing those stupid, uh, oh my gosh, the sentence diagrams? <laughs> okay, actually it kind of comes in handy sometimes. Okay, so faith is the noun. <laughs> then the works is the action. However, here's what's really cool. Is this word faith in the Greek is the word pistis, which I think is kind of a funny word. But that's a real word. I'm not saying anything naughty. It's a conviction and it's a belief and it's assurance. But then the root word of that Greek word is another word that is actually a verb. And that word is to be active, to rely, to have confidence and trust. So here's the thing about faith is faith is a thing But at the root of it, it has to have a corresponding action. Otherwise, it's not faith. At the core of your faith, there has to be corresponding action to go with what you are believing in and relying upon and trusting in. Otherwise, it's not really faith. So even though we rest, our rest is a work of our faith. You got to be, you got to be in Lynette land and be my neighbor to get that. No, it is only, I really believe that the balance of that and the application of that can only be caught and executed through partnership of the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit partnering with us to be able to do that because otherwise, like how do you, how, how do you even do that? So faith rest life shifts our focus from our schedule, our agenda, our importance, and it shifts our focus to the most important thing, which is complete and total dependence on God. We can do nothing without God. We are nothing without God. We strive and we strive and we can work and we can aim. We can run. We can be busy and running here and there. But it all amounts to nothing without God. Complete and total dependence on God. That means that the most important thing is his presence. And, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes we can get it into our minds that, well, I spend my, I spend my time with God in the morning and then I get up and I go about my day. God doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be at the center of everything. Some people say, God is number one in my life. And I totally get what they're saying. And I I respect that. I, I get what you're saying. But God doesn't want to be number one. Like I spend my time with God. And then I go to work. I spend my time with God. And then I engage with my spouse. I spend my time with God. And then I'm a parent. God wants to be in the middle of your work. God wants to be in the middle of your marriage. And God wants to be in the middle of your parenting. He doesn't want to be number one. And then you go about your day. He wants you to rest in his presence throughout your day. He wants to be in the middle of everything that you do. He put you where you are because he wanted to be there. But if you say, well, I spend my time with God and check it off and then run off and go to work and act like everybody else, we're, we're missing something really important there, if that's what we're doing. So how do you do it? How do we get there? As I was pondering on this, A passage of scripture came to me and I thought, huh, that's interesting. How many have ever been to a funeral? A lot of funerals will recite the pastor or minister, officiant, whoever will recite Psalm 23. You know, we've been to funerals and we think about Psalm 23 as being for dead people. But it's not. It is very much for those of us in the land of the living, going through life, the dirty here and now it is for us. And so let's take a look at what David wrote in Psalm 23, starting in verse one, I'm going to read out of the new King James. And it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. Everything that we need to enter into faith, rest, life is in those two verses right there. First of all, he says to us, the Lord is my shepherd. What he is saying there is he is making a declaration of who God is and who God is in relationship to him. He says the Lord, that word Lord in the Hebrew is the word, um, I don't want to say it wrong. It is the word Jehovah. Jehovah is the way in, in Hebrew. I'm not going to hack the way that, you know, when you speak proper, I'm not good at that. But that word right there, the word Jehovah is in the Hebrew. It is the word that means the supreme God. There is no other God above him. There is no authority above him. There is no power above him. He is the supreme God. So David declares, he says, the Lord, the Jehovah, the supreme God is my shepherd. It puts him in relationship and he's declaring, I am recognizing That no matter what is coming against me, no matter what is happening to me in my life, no matter what government is, no matter who the people are, no matter what they're doing, the Lord God, Jehovah, he is more powerful and he has more authority and he carries more weight than anything else that's happening in my life. And that power, that authority, that person, I am putting myself in relationship with that person where that person, that authority, that power is my God and he is my shepherd. What does the shepherd do? The shepherd leads and guides. The shepherd cares for. The shepherd is the one who tends to. So when he says the most supreme God is the one who leads me and guides me and cares for me and puts me in the place where I will be taken care of. If we just all got that. Like we could, we could, if we just all had, if you had one, one scripture, if we had this one, but speaking to us in the language of sun. now we read Psalm 23 and he goes on and he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. This makes me to lie down. He makes me lie down is one Hebrew word that means to rest. And it's a picture, it's actually an image word, and it means when uh, an animal lies down and they curl their front legs up underneath their chest, like deer do that, and my dog, one of my dogs does that, my little red healer does that. And when she rests like that, it means that she has no fear of a predator, When an animal is resting that way, they're not in a position of having to get up and run from anything. It means that they feel totally safe. They're completely content. They're well fed. They're cared for. And they are at rest. So when the scripture says that he makes me to lie down, it's not that he forces me and he shoves my head down. It's that he opens the way for me to lay down in such a way. That I am not thinking about getting up and moving from this place. I am at complete and total peace here. I am at complete and total assurance that the one who leads me and guides me is taking care of me. I might not know what the next thing is. I might not know exactly what it's going to look like when I get there. But I have full and total assurance that he's taking care of me. So, yielding, this, uh, this I thought was very interesting. The phrase, he leads me in the Hebrew is one word. And where it says that he leads me beside the still waters, so, the phrase still waters is again, rest. It's resting. It's a place of refreshment, resting. But this, le um, he leads me means To run with sparkle. No joke. Those of you who know that I like glitter think that I made that up. I did not. (laughs) That is what it says. It says to run with sparkle. Signification of flowing and going. He leads me. Ladies. It is completely in our nature to like sparkly things. (laughs) Men, it's completely within your wife's nature to like sparkly things. (laughs) Hint, hint, I'm helping you out. But it says to go and to flow. So when he's leading you, there is a flow and there is a momentum to life that is not forced. It's a rhythm that is created from heaven and flows to you and through you from the throne of God, from the one that you were created in his likeness and in his image. There is a rhythm that takes place. There is a flow that takes place. Like Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does it mean that everything is going to be? roses. No, it does not. But it means that when you come up against those hard places, there is a flow that you're going to be able to go in because you rest in the knowledge of the one that created you and that he is good, that he is always good. When you read those two verses right there. I'm not going to, for the sake of time, I encourage you to do so, but go on and read everything that is given to us, but they all hinge on those first two verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures next to the still waters. Those two things, that is what rest looks like. And that's where it's found. Everything else that comes after that, the restoration, guidance for the straight path, freedom from fear, confidence in God's presence, comfort, victory over your enemy and abundance all come from faith, rest, life. All of that. There will be those who live the faith, rest, life, who believe, and because they believe, They enter into the fullness of God's promise. And there will be those who will have their hearts wrapped in unbelief. Even though they come to church every week. Even though they profess to be a Christ follower. There will be those who still have unbelief in their heart. And will not enter into the fullness of what God has for them. That being said. There is something very exciting that is happening in Kentucky right now. How many of you have heard about what is taking place at Asbury College? Some of you, some of you have not heard about it. There is a really, really rich uh, revival history in Kentucky when you begin to study revival history just in the United States. And Asbury College is Uh, not, uh, unfamiliar with revival. Uh, Asbury has a a history of revival. It's very interesting. Ray Hughes is huge, uh, into revival history. Uh, if for those of you who were not here when Ray was here, we have Ray scheduled to come to be here to minister in March and in the name of Jesus, his health will be such that he is able to come. But Ray is phenomenal to listen to when it comes to revival history. Um, <clears throat> here's what I, here's what I wanted to say. What's happening for those of you who haven't heard at Asbury college, I have not been there in person. And all I have knowledge of is what I am reading online. I am reading things from uh, ministers that I know and that I follow. Um, so I'm reading things from them. And then I'm watching. I I watch on uh, YouTube. they broadcast on YouTube of what's happening. So uh, I say that to preface what I'm about to say with I've not been there personally. So I, I want to be. Uh, Cautious of speaking of it in the sense that I have not personally experienced it and I have not personally been there. So please, please keep that in mind. What I am hearing and what I am reading is that there is a beautiful outpouring of God that is taking place in the auditorium of one of the chapels at Asbury College. It started during a worship service And it is being maintained and it is going, uh, under the leadership and the, the guide of students, college students there. This is a move that is taking place that is being, uh, funneled through the college students. So if you have my son and I were talking about it. And one of the things that he brought up that I thought was very interesting is he said, mom, there's never been a revival that I'm aware of. I've not heard of one in my lifetime. He's 22 years old, almost 22. And in his lifetime, he has not heard of or experienced a great revival taking place in the United States. Now, there are revivals that are taking place all over the world, and as I am studying and pressing into this, there are pockets of revival that are taking place. We're just not hearing about it. For whatever reason, Asbury really caught the attention of people, and there's literally a line outside of the building that wraps—I don't know how far it goes. At different times, it goes to—I don't know how—I mean, but blocks— Lines of people waiting to get in and it's just an outpouring of God's presence. There is a tremendous, uh, outpouring of particularly healing people with mental Um, challenges, people that suffer depression or suicidal tendencies. There uh, seems to be a tremendous healing of the thought of the mind. And there's also been miracles taking place for people who are struggling with identity issues. And so God that says to me that God really has his finger. Like God is not ignorant of what we're dealing with and the things that have happened since COVID, a lot of the struggles that we're seeing come forth that are seem to be more predominant, uh, after COVID, my, uh, My proposition would be that those things were always there. It just was that when COVID happened, it pulled the, it pulled the nice cover off of it and it got exposed. Some of the things that people really have been dealing with for some time. So here is the reason that I, that I bring this up is that there will be those who, because of faith, rest, life, believe and will enter into the fullness of what God is doing. There will be those who have their heart wrapped in unbelief and will choose to take a position of skepticism and being critical. It's easy to do. And I am going to tell you that probably in days to come, that there will be some stories come out about people doing some very interesting things. And that it would be very easy to look at it and say, that's weird. Or that's not God. Why would God do that? See, back in uh, the <clears throat> 80s and into the 90s, there was revivals taking place in America. One of the, um, I totally just lost the name, two of them in the East, Toronto, Toronto the Toronto blessing and Brownsville. Um, there were some powerful moves of God that were taking place there. There were also some very interesting things came out of that. One of them, and I'm just going to say it because it was being talked about in the circles that I was in is people were barking like dogs. And that was a huge thing that people were using as a criticism for that. Was God causing people to bark like dogs? I don't know. Why would God do that? I don't know. He's God. Hey, whatever he wants to do. Here's the important part though. Is that if I have faith in God and I trust the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of me, I don't have to fear those things. I don't need to be in fear of it. It would be very easy to become critical. And here's the other thing that is very important. I, it's being labeled a revival. Is it, not, is it a revival? Maybe so. Is it not a revival? I don't know. Time will tell because what is a revival? A revival is a movement and a release of the outpouring of God that causes restoration leading to transformation, meaning that the culture is changed. If we don't learn how to speak the language of rest, we will not be able to enter in to restoration leading to transformation. It is vital that we get a hold of what God is doing. Is it a revival? I don't know. Time will tell. Am I celebrating? Can we celebrate an outpouring of God in these college students? Absolutely. Do we need to be afraid of it? No. Might there be some, Very interesting, odd things that may come out of that. Probably so. Because generally speaking, when there is a great move of God, people want to come and watch. They want to come see. If you set yourself on fire, people will come to watch you burn. So is there a potential for flesh to get involved? Yes, there is. But I learned here, watching a move of God take place up here one time that lasted for a couple hours after church was over. And I watched a man who was completely and totally not involved in it, didn't want to be involved in it (laughs) because there was people that were just laid out on the floor up here. When I say laid out on the floor, there's a term that we use in church to be slain in the spirit, which sounds like it could hurt. It doesn't hurt. But the best way that uh, God showed me to explain it is sometimes... The glory and the presence of God's glory is so heavy. The scripture says there is a weight to his glory. That his glory is so heavy when he is pouring out his presence for a person to experience that it becomes heavier than what their physical body can contain. And we would all agree that we would not be so foolish as to claim that my physical body can contain the fullness of the presence of God. So... When his glory becomes so heavy, oftentimes a person will just lay on the ground or their legs will go out from under them. And the way that God showed it to me and they, and they, they seem to fall asleep or they're laying still and they can't move. And the Bible says that the word is sharper than any two edged sword. And the way that God showed it to me is that is his way of doing surgery on the soul is that he Puts us out in the spirit. The same way that a surgeon would put you out to do deep surgery on you. Because if they were not to do that, it could be painful. So God puts you out in his glory to be able to do surgery on your heart. So there was some surgery taking place up here. And a gentleman walked through to get Darren's Bible off of the stage for him. And as he walked through that area right there, he made it. To the second step on the stage, and then he just completely fell out on the floor. Like a sack of potatoes, it sounded. And I walked over, and I stood over the top of him. I said, are you okay? Because his eyes were wide open, and he was like this. I said, are you okay? And he was looking back and forth like this, and he says, Pastor, I can't move. I can't move. he He had never experienced anything like it. And I said, it's okay. Just lay there because God is loving on you right now. And he said, my phone is in my pocket. Somebody needs to call my wife. (laughs) He was fully aware of everything that was going on, but he could not move. I said, just take it easy. We'll call her and we'll let her know. She came back to the church. There was probably about eight or 10 people up here on the floor at that time. A couple of people were being ministered to in the uh, presence of the spirit of joy Very heavy situations going on in their life and God just began to minister to them with joy and they were laughing uncontrollably. Is that God? Uh huh. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God was restoring some strength to their dirt right there. So anyway, she came in and she got to about right there and she recognized what was happening and she just got down on her knees. She didn't want to, she didn't want to get surgery (laughs) done. She just got down on her knees right there. And just honored what God was doing. See, here's the thing. I want to honor what God is doing. And we might not understand it. We don't have to understand it. Gosh, God is bigger than my experience. And God is bigger than my mind. So I would not ever presume to think that I would understand everything that God would do. But if I ask him, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Because God will give it to you without withholding. So if there is a question, if something is happening and you don't understand, ask God, Lord, help me to understand that. Show me what you're doing. And he will. So here's what I want to encourage us is that as we are seeing things coming in the news and as we're able to get on the wonderful gift that social media can be now, because we can all partake in these things, even though we're not able to be in Kentucky right now, is I would encourage you to put on the glasses And to see this through the lens of celebrating an outpouring of God, that God is moving and he is doing something and we celebrate the fact that his name is being talked about on major news outlets. That people are traveling from all over the world to come and to see what's happening. We're not talking about war. We're not talking about politics. We're not talking about somebody getting murdered. We're not talking about people starving. We're talking about an outpouring of God. Can we celebrate that? And as we celebrate this outpouring of God... God being God in whatever manner he chooses to be. Who are we to tell him how to be God? Read Job and you will learn that doesn't go so well. <laughs> but let us celebrate what God is doing. And as we celebrate what God is doing there, what we will find is that we create within ourselves the heart To be a perfect place for the outpouring of God. When we learn to celebrate what God is doing. Even if we don't understand. We create the perfect environment. For God to pour out in any way that he would like. So here's here. I want to take just a couple of minutes to do this. As we talked about resting. I felt that there were some very specific things. That we were to. Rest from today. And one of the things specifically that came to me was the accusation or the lie that the enemy places on the inside of us that says, I can't rest because my provision and my sustenance is dependent upon my work. And that's a lie. Because that keeps you from rest. So if that if that is something that keeps you from rest right now, I want you just to settle in where you're at. We're just going to take just a couple of moments. I felt like God had some specific things that he wanted to to bring to people. So that one, um, the other one specifically, and this one is this one is is very common, is that you're not worthy of entering into his rest. That there is something about you that is so broken or that is so uh, mal-aligned that you simply are not worthy of entering into God's rest. That you can't get that close to God because he doesn't want you that close. When in reality, Jesus' arms were wide open to expose the heart of the Father. And he said, all I want is for you to come and be with me. So if there's any any voice at all that speaks to you to say, that you're not worthy or that whatever you've done or wherever you've been, that God would not want you close to him. I want you to close your eyes right now. And I want you to see Jesus stretched out on the cross saying, I have completely and totally exposed the doorway to my father's heart for you to come and sit with him and to be with him and to be loved by him. The other one that I heard was this lie that there is something uniquely wrong with me. There is something uniquely wrong with me that keeps me from obtaining and experiencing the fullness of God's promise. I don't know what that is. If it, if, it, if it applies to you, you do. And that's all that matters. But God wants you to know that there isn't anything so uniquely wrong with you. That whatever you think is wrong with you is greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. His love never fails. Love never fails. There is nothing so wrong with you that God's love doesn't overcome to make a way for you to his promise. But first you have to recognize the lie that there is not something uniquely wrong with you. Rashad and Krenes. God wants you to know that you have made it as far as you have made it, not to just make it. Um, I felt like God was saying that there was a pretty strong assignment on the two of you to try and keep you from making it this far, that there is a strong assignment on your relationship early on, and that God is doing a major thing in your marriage and in your union, in your covenant with one another and your covenant with one another is a covenant that is breaking generational uh, places in your, Families where people have not entered into the fullness of God's promise, they've been close, but there's been generations where people haven't entered into that promise. And because of your covenant with God and with one another, that the cord of three strands is not easily broken. So the two of you with God creates such a powerful covenant and that your covenant and your walk together is actually setting the generations that are coming after you to step into a possession and an experience of the promise of God that has never before been seen in your family line. And I believe that God is going to use the two of you to demonstrate a stewardship of prosperity that Others may not know how to do, but you will show them how to do it. And it's not just for your lineage, but I feel like God is going to bring people around you that are going to ask you, so how did you guys make it through that? How did you guys do that? Yes. And that you're going to be able to show them in the Bible Here is what God has taught us, but you're going to do it from a place of relationship and a place of connection with them because you two are both very, very humble and you are people that God knows that he can trust with generational blessing. So he's going to bless you greatly because he can trust you with that generational blessing. You are faithful. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, father. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing in Rashad and Kinesa's life. Father, we thank you for their family. We thank you for what you have established for them. And we declare that every good work that you have predestined them for, every gift that you have placed on the inside of them, that it will be used to the full potential and that God, that you will watch them as they run their race and that you cheer them on from the heavenly throne. And father, whenever they need refreshing, when they need renewal, when they need direction, Father, that your voice is so clear in their ears and in their spirit that, God, that they are not questioning direction, that they know exactly what you want them to do, and they are not afraid to run with it. Father, I thank you for boldness. I thank you for confidence in what you are doing through them. And, Father, I thank you for promotion for both of them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah.